Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, we have a lot to get to. Oklahoma State wins their season opener against Central Michigan, and we have much more college football to talk about from the rest of the country, including what was just the Mona Lisa of Big Ten performances, a absolute artistic masterpiece by my my friends up in uh, Iowa. Uh, it was unbelievable, Carson. I thought about you the entire time that that game was being played. I was not watching that game, obviously, uh, because I only like to watch football when football's on. So I wasn't watching Iowa. But I was thinking of you as, as one tweet after another rolled in just I mean, people are just waiting for us to talk Iowa. This needs to become the pistols firing at the Hawkeyes podcast. I think so. And, you know, I, I kind of struggle with this a little bit. It's not Iowa's fault. Like, it's not their fault. Their conference is terrible. And they actually, like Kirk Ferentz, has done a good job over a long period of time. And it, it's not their fault. They play that ridiculous schedule every other year where they don't have to play the big boys and they get to like 10 and 0 and they're not worthy of that record so it's not their fault it's not your fault Iowa Hawkeyes you have a great fan base I love when they turn around and wave at the the children's hospital it's one of my favorite things in the sport of college football it's not your fault it's not your fault I think I'm like in goodwill hunting it's not your fault (laughs) but I have a lot to say about the opinions that just year in year out come pouring and raining down for in favor of the Big Ten being arguably the best conference, if not number two behind the SEC. I have plenty of thoughts on what was the Mona Lisa of Big Ten performances. And, of course, Colby and I are going to start with Oklahoma State's, you know, resounding first-half performance, and a lot more happened in the second half, which we'll get to. But first, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. And Colby actually reached out to Chris's uh, last week or so about T-shirts. And I was just like, you know, like, is anyone going to buy a Big Ten Stinks t-shirt? I mean, am I going to pay the money to print these and then there's going to be sitting in my garage drawing dust? But I don't know. I got a lot of positive feedback after that Mona Lisa performance, and uh, I might have to hit Chris's up and, and print some for the show. Maybe just get, like, Big Ten Stinks on the front and then Oklahoma State in big letters on the back and then, like, all the – rum dumb big 10 teams below it in tiny letters so maybe that would be the way to go yeah i think you'd be surprised carson the uh the big 10 hate has really spread its way around big 12 country uh and through the oklahoma state fan base i think it's just the real problem carson like you said with iowa it's not their fault it's the fault of people who nationally cover college football and have spent the last 10 years trying to pretend as if Iowa and Oklahoma State are on the same level in terms of football programs when anyone who's paying attention just knows that that's not true. And if Oklahoma State played Iowa every year, uh, I mean, Iowa would probably win a fluky game once or twice out of 10 years. The rest of the time, Oklahoma State would go up there uh, and Spencer Sanders would show them what an athlete looks like, and they would be absolutely blown away that someone can throw a football and run that fast. It would be uh, really fun to watch. So, like you said, it's not their fault, but we can – 
we can get a little more into uh, what happened nationally a little later if you want to, but I'm, I'm geeked up to talk about OSU Central Michigan Thursday night because that was interesting. Interesting, Carson. I've, I've got thoughts. Where do you want to start? Yeah, let's start with just the first half and just what an unbelievable offensive show that was by Spencer Sanders and Casey Dunn and the receiving core. And, and let's just start here, Colby, just – I said this coming into the season when I mentioned Jaden Bray, Brennan Presley, John Paul Richardson, and went up and down the receiving core and said, that's, and that's before I get to Rashad Owens and Langston Anderson, who look like legitimate football players. And before I even get to Braden Johnson, who's kind of been the forgotten man all off season and his body looks completely different. He looks more like DK Metcalf than KJ Hamler, the little, little slot guy that just runs go routes. He's, he's transformed. He's like a different different guy just in his body type. And he really played well too. But as I was mentioning, like they have so many players at the skill positions, particularly at wide receiver. They didn't even have Jaden Bray Colby and Spencer Sanders was just unbelievable. But I just thought to myself, as I saw Jaden Bray on the sideline and street clothes, like there's just playmakers all over the field and they did an unbelievable job spreading it out and getting, getting the ball in the playmakers hands. Yeah, we were sitting there watching the first half. I was sitting next to my dad, and we're, we're like, God, they're throwing it almost every down. And, I mean, I guess you just go back to what works. And it, it's kind of offense, defense. I mean, your offense was going so fast, two-minute touchdown drives. Uh, Spencer was throwing bombs. E- even you, you know everything's going well when they're down at the 25-yard line of Central Michigan. Spencer Sanders thinks they're running a halfback delay. Jaden Nixon clearly thought they were running a quarterback delay. And Spencer Sanders just takes off. And, man, I, just, I think his run, rushing ability is so – underrated because it's not only the speed and the agility, but he just has good instincts as a runner. I mean, right there, that play's broken down and he just looked up, saw exactly where the hole was and he just hit it. No, no hesitation, no nothing. He got after it. Uh, he was throwing the ball. Well, he was for the most part, really accurate. I thought a couple of nice deep balls. The one you said to Brayden Johnson. And like you said, with the playmakers, I mean, John Paul Richardson, that's what a seven or eight yard little curl route there on the uh, on the right hash he just takes it spins goes nice little cut and gets to the corner gets to the pylon it was Carson the the offense I mean I talked about all offseason I think Casey Dunn and Spencer Sanders have clicked and boy it looked like they're still clicking because that was as dominant of a performance as you I think you could have possibly seen from the offense of Oklahoma State. Obviously, they slowed down a ton in the second half uh, and really just kind of put the coasters on and got to the finish line. But that first half was uh, just pistols firing, guns blazing, good night, Vienna, uh, all of the Dave Hunziker monikers against Central Michigan. Yeah, I mean, I mean, let, let's face it. I mean, we've all talked about Spencer Sanders throughout his career, the good, the bad, the ugly. He looked completely under control he looked the best like he it looked like he was in the second half of the Notre Dame game in week one of the new season I mean you extrapolate his numbers from the second half of Notre Dame into this game it's just he's playing on a different level he's becoming the quarterback when he signed with Oklahoma State we hoped he could be and I think this has so much to do with what you mentioned Casey Dunn being able to run the quote-unquote Oklahoma State offense. It, to me, Colby, I felt like I was watching Zach Dez and, and Kendall Hunter and Dantrell Savage all over. It looked like the 2007-2008 version where they ran way more no huddle. They rarely huddled. They would just look to the sideline for the play and go. 
and they were playing even faster than that against Central Michigan. And, and look, I certainly understand why last year when you have arguably the best defense in the country to slow things down, milk the clock, like just play to the strength of your defense, make sure they get breathers. I understand all of that. But you have to recognize what is best for your quarterback one, which we all know this is the offense that Sanders wanted to come play in out of high school. It's the one he played in, in, in a high school at Denton Ryan. He's just so much better with a spread field in the shotgun, playing fast, not thinking, just reacting. He, it, it plays to his strengths. And Colby, Oklahoma State is not Iowa. They are not Wisconsin. You don't need to be in 12, even 13 personnel with dual tight ends, dual cowboy backs, bunched, condensed into the field when you have this much speed at the playmaker positions, especially when the offensive line's been the way it has the last three years. I think that has to do with Mike Gundy. We'll never know. It's always this gray area between him and whomever the offensive coordinator is. But this is Oklahoma State football. This is what you are. You are a run and gun, no huddle, uh, all gas, no breaks offense. And it suits your quarterback on top of that. And this is just, it was everything, Colby, I've been wanting to see for the last three years on full display in week one. I thought Casey Dunn, like, look, the running backs barely carried the football. We can get to the running game and, and, and how that looked. But I just thought Spencer looked completely at ease because he's being put in positions that he's comfortable in. And you mentioned the running ability. He's a running back. Like, you, you see quarterbacks that are good runners. You also see quarterbacks that look like running backs when they tuck the football and go. Because you're right. His ability in the open field of just – it's that innate ability that running backs just have when they can see a guy coming from a certain angle. I'm going to cut this way, and he's going to touch nothing like he did on that one touchdown run. It was – I mean, it was some jaw-dropping stuff in the open field from Spencer. I thought he played amazing. And I, and look, it's week one against Central Michigan. I'm not going to get out too far out of my skis. But if he plays like this most of the season and OSU has a good year, like he's going to be pushing to make it to New York. And, again, I'm, I'm not trying to get ahead of myself. I'm just saying put up career high in passing yards, looked every bit like the player we saw in the second half against Notre Dame. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that you are kind of seeing the training wheels come off, right? It felt like last year the training wheels were on the entire season. Now, part of that, I think, is uh, some health problems up front, some health problems with the receivers. I mean, we remember what Oklahoma State took to Boise last year, right? It wasn't much. I mean, the, the guys were hurt. There was, we're talking about all the speed that they've got this year and the playmakers. I mean, it was a skeleton crew last year at Boise. And I, I think that it just led to a situation where Spencer Sanders' confidence, I think, took a little bit of a hit. I think Casey Dunn confidence took a little bit of a hit and because the defense was so good I think they got into a position where the offense was just trying not to screw it up I think the offense spent most of last year trying just don't make disaster plays let the defense do their thing all we have to do is not mess this up for those guys because the 11 guys they're fixing to trot onto the field after Tom Hutton comes out those guys are going to win us the game this year is going to be very different, Carson. Uh, you, you know, we saw what we saw from the defense, particularly in that second half and in that fourth quarter when the, when the game uh, had gotten away a little bit. It, it's going to be very different this year. We're going to see a faster offense, and we're going to see a lot more Spencer Sanders. Now, whether he makes it to New York, I think, is probably a uh, a byproduct of team success. You know, if Oklahoma State goes Absolutely. eight and four, and and they're not don't have any chance to go down to Jerry's World, Spencer Sanders isn't going to get a second look. If Oklahoma State goes 10 and 2, 
Uh, I mean, God forbid they go 11 and one and they're, they're making their way down to Jerry's world. Yeah, he absolutely has a chance to be there. I mean, we're talking about uh, more than 460 total yards the other night, six total touchdowns, no turnovers. That is just as good as it gets. And I I've been preaching for years, Carson, and there's been a segment of the Oklahoma State fan base who just won't hop on board. And, and there's still some who I think are still, still reluctant to hop on board because they're just waiting for the disaster game to come. Spencer Sanders' ceiling is so high that you just have to live with it when he has a bad day because when he has a good day it looks like what it looked like on Saturday and I mean that's a guy who can single-handedly with individually great performances win you football games uh he did it last year against Oklahoma with some of the things he did in that second half he was great against Notre Dame and I fully expect Spencer Sanders Carson to put this team on his back at times throughout the season whenever it's needed because it might be needed more than it was in 2021. Uh, it certainly might with, with the way a defense played and we'll get to the defense. And one thing I really liked Colby and look, this is how great he played. Like he, he completed 68% of his passes, but there were two throws kind of over the seam that he kind of skipped in there. They were incomplete that I, I kind of tweeted. Like if you're going to beat the big boys, you, you have to be able to make that throw and you have to be able to make it practically in your sleep. If you want to be the quarterback, we all expect Spencer to be this year. That's how good he played. That's like the only two nitpicks I would have. But what I liked about those plays, and Mike's talked about this for the duration of Spencer's career, is he wants to win so bad that when he makes just, you know, a minor mistake like that, didn't result in a turnover, didn't result in a loss of downs or anything, he used to just beat himself up over it and couldn't move on to the next play. On those two, he kind of patted his chest, patted his helmet, and said, look, my bad. And boom, they're, they're still off and running on, on the, the next play. And I, I thought – that to me, amongst all the great plays he made, and there were so many of them, like that's what I really like to see. Because Spencer, look, we've all we've all played all all played athletics, we've all played sports where you want to be perfect, and I think he's tried so hard to be that because he knows what he knows the narrative out there. He knows he's thrown too many interceptions in his career. I think he gets eaten up with that when it happens, and we've seen that in games where it leads to two, three, four interceptions because he tries to push the envelope on the next one. I think that was a real shine of growth and maturity from him, the way he kind of just shook it off, didn't let it get to him and get in his own head like it used to. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, I'm, obviously we're big golf nerds and all the time in golf, mental game is constantly discussed, constantly. How do you deal with failure? Because you're failing so often. How do you put it out of your mind and go get the next one? You know, you, you hit one in the water, the best players in the world hit it in the water. The best players in the world hit it out of bounds. You know what they don't do? They don't proceed to double the next three holes because they're mad that they made one bad swing. And it did kind of feel that way with Spencer, right? I mean, Spencer would, would have the, the out of bounds and then gosh, it would just get to him and it would eat him up and you could see his head hanging on his way to the sideline. And I'm sure at some point this season, there might still be another one of those, but, but I do feel like he's getting better at not letting that stuff eat him up and bother him so much because the reality is it's an imperfect science. I mean, I'm, I, NFL starts a week from today, Carson. I'm an NFL junkie. I'm going to watch a ton of Josh Allen and Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady. And guess what? All of those guys are going to throw interceptions. All of them. Every last one. It, it's part of the game. It's moving fast. You've got five, six, seven, 250, 300-pound guys rushing at you, trying to hit you as hard as they can. You're going to make mistakes. It's going to happen. But he's just, at this point in his career, Carson, we're starting to see, I think, that growth that we've been waiting from for Spencer Sanders. The second half of last season, we saw it, uh, and, and I hope that it continues on that same trajectory because I just feel like he is right on the doorstep 
of fully unlocking all of his potential. And Carson, we've said it since he came in from, from Texas. He is so talented. The raw talent has always been there, but he just needed to get his head in the same position. And I feel like we're kind of getting to that point. And I just, I was optimistic all off season about he and Casey Dunn uh, having a good year and putting it all together. And nothing that happened Thursday night did anything to douse my optimism. It's, it's to the point, Carson, last year, I was ready to show up every week and watch Colin Oliver and Malcolm Rodriguez this year. I think I'm going to be excited every week to show up and watch Casey Dunn and Spencer Sanders and see what they come up with. No doubt. I mean, how's this for, <laughs> how's this for company? Spencer joins Patrick Mahomes as the only players in big 12 history with 300 passing yards, three passing touchdowns and two rushing touchdowns in a single half. Like, that's the company he's in with how well he played against Central Michigan. And, and we can talk more about it. I think Central Michigan's a, a, a good team for the Mac. I mean, they're, they're a good team. Jim McElwain's coached at Florida. Like, I thought they had a great game plan. We'll talk more about that when it comes to the defense. But I didn't want to touch on the receiving core because I was so interested in seeing how this would be distributed. Well, how about this? 11 different guys caught a pass. Four different ones caught a touchdown, led by Braden Johnson, who, again, kind of the forgotten man Colby in the receiving core. Like when you and I, and we talk about who's going to lead the team in receiving receptions, even on a per game basis, let alone the season, our eyes just immediately go to Brennan Presley, Jaden Bray. And, you know, even John Paul Richardson now is emerging as the third guy, but Braden Johnson looked like the alpha receiver in this game. And again, I just think he looks like a different dude. I mean, he looks like the body by glass has caught up to him. And before and earlier in his career, like that big game he had against A&M in the bowl game several years ago, he just kind of was like a one trick pony. It seemed like from a guy who didn't catch a ton of footballs, they put him in the slot. He ran go routes with his excellent speed. This was an excellent all around performance, catching a myriad of different, you know, route tree type catches. And I thought he was sensational and perhaps I need to recalibrate who who's going to be the alpha receiver this year. Cause he looked outstanding. Yeah, I came away thinking a lot of the same things. Carson, I bet if we went back and listened to every podcast that we've done since last football season ended, I bet we didn't mention Braden Johnson's name one time. He just, I mean, like you said, he's the forgotten man in that room. I mean, he barely played last year. I think he only played in one game last year. And, you know, I, I don't think that anybody really expected to see much more of Braden Johnson in Oklahoma State. And for him to continue to put the work in, Carson, when so many things have gone wrong and he just hadn't been able to get on the field, for him to continue to put the work in and see it pay off in a big, big way like that, I mean, that was huge. And he had the 45-yard uh, catch. He had the nice touchdown in the back of the end zone, which was a great throw from Spencer leading him right into the back line. Defender had absolutely no chance. And the speed is still there for Braden Johnson. I just, Carson, I, I don't know. We've had some really good receiving cores at Oklahoma State. But I'm talking just about speed. Just about speed. I mean, Braden Johnson, Brennan Presley, John Paul Richardson, these guys can move a little bit. You, you add in Braden, Braylon Presley, who on his one touch of the game, put his foot in the ground and let a guy fly right by. Uh, I, I mean, that was fun to watch. I know you were fixing to hop in there, but Carson, just the speed of this receiving core is something to be excited about. I was just hoo-hooing about how freaking awesome Braylon Presley looked on an eight-yard catch. Like might have been the best play I of the game. I to cut you off. I just couldn't hold my emotions in. Uh, yeah, might have been the best play of the game watching Braylon just catch a quick like, quick screen. Dude, and then like – like, I know it's an eight-yard catch. Like, I know this. Like, and I know I, I got to think that Mike is just holding him back because it's the non-conference at Central Michigan. You don't want to, you know, show all your cards. One, two, he's a true freshman. You don't want to let some older guys play. But, like, 
you, you don't really understand it until you watch the kid play in person. And, and on TV, it jumped off the screen. Like, he catches this swing pass. And like I mentioned with the Iowa defenders, gold pants turning brown, same thing happened to that Central Michigan dude trying to tackle him. Like, he had no – the first guy had no prayer of touching him, let alone tackling him. That dude is an absolute weapon. By, by I'm going to say this right now. By conference play, he better be on the field. And I don't care where he's playing. You can put him in the backfield. You can put him in the slot. I don't care if you put him outside and run some reverses in those jet sweep type plays. This kid needs to be part of the offense. And you can sit there, Carson, it's one play. Why are you freaking out? I watched this kid in high school. I covered this kid in high school. I covered Sterling Shepard in high school. I covered a lot of big-time football players. This kid's the best high school football player I've ever seen. And I know that sounds weird because he's, he's small. He doesn't fit the profile of, like, you know, a big, hulking D1 football player. He's got some serious, like, Barry Sanders type, and I say type, moves, speed, football awareness. Like, I watched him against Jinx make six dudes within three feet of him miss they all touched air it's just he's different and my god you have to get that kid on the field yeah you've got to get him on the field and you've got to find a way to get the ball into his hands i understand if he's a true freshman and you're not willing to run him out there and give him 10 touches a game i get that there's other guys uh who have done a good job and who deserve playing time and deserve touches but this dude is fast, man. He's fast. He's quick. He's just, he's got to be your, um, I don't know if secret weapon is the right term. Just, I mean, he, he can be a gadget guy, right? Right now, he's probably not ready to come out there and, and play 80% of the snaps. But to be a gadget guy that gets, I don't know, five touches a game, you see him in the return game occasionally, and then you get him out there uh, for some, some jet sweeps, some quick screens, some stuff like that. And even putting him out there, Carson, I feel like once he's out there and makes a few plays, then he's somebody that the defense kind of has to think about. Even if it's just in, in a gadget role, uh, I would like to see him in that role for Oklahoma State and see what he's got because, God, he just looks so, 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 so quick. Uh, I was impressed, Carson, with John Paul Richardson, like I said, on the little catch and run that he had. I mean, that's just a, a simple little route that he turned into a 45-yard touchdown. Uh, Bryson Green had a really nice catch, uh, ended up against the wall there in the northeast corner of the end zone at Boone Pickens Stadium. I, I mean, the receiving core looks pretty good, Carson. Tay Martin uh, walks out the door. No Tay Martin and no Jaden Bray the other night, and we're coming away raving about the receiving core. That is absolute best-case scenario. Yeah, like, look, they were unproven. We all knew this. They all, none, of, none of them had played a ton of football past Brennan Presley, but we knew they were talented, and they looked, they looked awesome. And, and John, John Paul Richardson's just – he's just Mr. Reliable. That's what I call him. He, he's just one of those dudes that you hear about in camp when he shows up that they just – they can't cover the guy. He gets open. He catches the football every time it's thrown his way, and he makes the first guy miss, and he gains, you know, yards after the catch. It's – it's, it's not, you know, it's not Des Bryant in like jaw dropping stuff. He's just a damn good football player and a damn good receiver. And it's clear that Spencer trusts him because he looks his way a lot because he knows that this guy's going to be open. He goes, he goes, we're 17 at before the snap. Okay. Like things break down here. I'm, he's going to be open. I'll find him. He's just one of those guys. And he's really emerging as a, as a go-to type receiver when they need to get a first down. And I, I'm going to take it a step further. And this is the last thing I'll say, but like, I think Braylon's more than a gadget player. I, I think he can be 
Like I know I'm throwing out some big names here, but oh man, um, careful think, now. Think careful back to when. Um, and look, he's not this player. Yeah, he's a freshman. He's caught an eight-yard pass. And again, I'm not being Mr. Hyperbolic here, but I'm just saying in the type of skill set he has, eventually, maybe not this year, he's going to be OSU's version of Reggie Bush in that you can play him in the backfield. You can put him in the slot like they did with Lindale White coming out of the backfield. You can put Dominic Richardson at tailback and put Braylon right next to him on the other side of Spencer and have him run routes, hand it to him. Like, I don't care. Like, he has that type of receiving and running ability with the football. And, again, I'm not saying he's Reggie Bush. I'm not saying he needs 25 touches a game. I'm just saying before this season's over, and it better be by the time Big 12 play starts, uh, that kid better need to be on the field and getting the football some because he's he's special. You can see I knew it. I knew as soon as I saw that play sitting there in the West End zone it was coming right at us. Get it out to him, and as soon as he made the move, because I we were talking and I wasn't paying attention to who was subbing in and subbing out, but as soon as he made the move, I said whoa, and I stood up out of my seat and I said who was that? And I looked down. And I said oh that's Braylon. That's Braylon with the ball. And as soon as I, I was like, I know, I know Carson is salivating somewhere right now watching Braylon Presley because it, it really did, Carson. I stood up out of my seat in the stadium and said, whoa, who is that? And, uh, yeah, I figured it out real quick. So I, I am very bullish on the receiving core. Uh, th- this is a receiving core that I think goes, golly, man, six deep of just really good players. Braden Johnson, Brennan Presley, John Paul Richardson, Bryson Green, Braylon Presley. Um Jaden Bray, who was out the other night. I mean, that's not even to mention Rashad Owens, who I, I don't think Rashad Owens is a star, but I think Rashad Owens can come in uh, when guys need a breather and, and be a, a solid piece. He's a big guy. He's got good hands. Uh, so, yeah, very bullish on the receiving core. Kingston Anderson uh, looks like a dude. I know he tripped yeah. up on that. Could have been a touchdown. But, like, you just look at, at Langston Anderson and Rashad Owens, like those two dudes would, would start at most schools in the Big 12, would they not? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think they would they look like dudes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they really do. So, uh, yeah, very impressed with the receivers. what do you think of running backs, Carson? It was to, to me, it was almost hard to grade the running backs out because it was just such a pass heavy scheme. And I thought it was, you know, good, not great. I tell you the truth. I, I don't think we learned a, a whole ton about the running backs on Thursday. No, we didn't. And I'm sure Mike would say, that's what he always says that kind of defense dictates their game plan. And, and look, I mean, they weren't stopping the pass, so I don't, I can't blame them for continuing to air it out. I mean, all six touchdown drives they had in the first half were a minute 55 or less. So, yeah, like I, they didn't really need to find out a whole lot about the running uh, back room. Only 17 carries. Dominic Richardson led the way with nine carries, 61 yards, 6.8 a pop. But after him, it's, you know, five carries, two and one to, to Jaden Nixon, Ollie Gordon, and Zach Middleton. And they, Nixon had 1.2 yards per carry. Ollie Gordon had a negative half yard per carry. And Middleton had just had that one touch for one yard and a touchdown. So, no, we, I think that's going to be a constant season long endeavor on just kind of figuring it out, riding the hot hand, giving, giving each guy some series. I thought Richardson ran hard. I, I didn't think he ran great on his early opportunities. He didn't really. Make he didn't really make much happen, which is kind of my concern if they don't block it up well with him. But he certainly, I think the first guy uh, that that should be starting. I think he's got the most experience, and he it's not like he played bad. Uh, I thought Nixon showed me a good amount on that that, re- that reception he had. He's got some wheels, and 
that looked a little Chuba-esque on the, on the receiving end. He's got some serious speed. And, and how about my, my boy Ollie Gordon on that spin move? That was just <laughs> – like, that's just – you can't really teach that. Like, <laughs> freshman playing his first ever college football game, like, to just pull that out of his hat, like, right in that split, split of a second, I thought was, was pretty special. But, but I think you're right, Colby. I, it's, it's tough to get a feel on just 17 carries, and we're going to see a lot more of them once they get into some tighter football games. Yeah, I mean, I thought a lot of the same things you did. I thought Dominic Richardson looked very solid. Uh, I think he's going to be a good running back. I don't think he's going to be Chuba leading the nation in rushing. I don't think we've got a, a Kendall Hunter or anything like that on our hands. But I think he's a good, solid back who can handle the majority of the carries this season and allow some of the other guys to be complementary pieces like Jaden Nixon, who I was really impressed with in the passing game. Uh, you know, the catch and run on the little slip screen uh, was nice. I think it was the very next drive he came back out, got his hands on another one, uh, and looked pretty good so uh, I like Jaden Nixon potentially as a pass catching back and then Ollie Gordon again Carson we're trying to make judgments off of remarkably small sample sizes uh, but like you said that spin moves instinct I mean he just catches the ball turns the dude is right there boom blender and he's gone and that you just can't teach that so I am uh, yeah I mean we talked about Braylon between Braden Braylon Presley and Ollie Gordon I am in incredibly excited about what the young talent at the skill positions for Oklahoma State could look like. And with Spencer Sanders, uh, you know, kind of elevating his game to the point that he's at, you just, I don't know that you have two to three years to get these guys worked in. I think this could be a big-time season for Oklahoma State and a big-time offense, uh, and hopefully there's enough touches to go around for all these guys because we are just listing off skill player after skill player, Carson, and every single one of these guys we can rave about, but at some point, they're just, there's one football, and there's, you, there's only so many snaps to go around. There's only so many touches to go around. Somebody's going to be the odd man out uh, when all is said and done in conference play and the uh, rotations start narrowing up a little bit. I don't know who that's going to be, but I'm confident that there are so many options at both running back and receiver that this coaching staff uh, is, is going to be able to play around a little bit and find the right combination. Uh, so hopefully we get to see a little bit more Ollie Gordon because he was very exciting, Carson, in his limited touches. Yeah, I mean, to me, it reminds me of last year. I mean, you had L.D. Brown coming back, um, certainly more experienced than than a Dom Richardson, but you don't have this just established star like a Chuba Hubbard, a Kendall Hunter, to where I think much like last year where it took them several games to figure out, um, you know, who the starting running back was going to be when that emergence in the, in the Boise State game. I think we're going to see something similar this year. I think I think the running backs themselves – are going to determine who gets the most carries on a, on a week-to-week basis. Obviously, practice will be a part of that. But I think Mike puts a lot of stock in, one, not fumbling the football. That's going to crush any other hopes of, of carrying it much if you fumble. But, two, just he likes he likes when the lights are on. He, he wants to see what you can do when it's full go, full contact, another team trying to knock your block off. And I think the running backs themselves will determine who the best guy is going to be. And I think – you're right. I don't think we, we've seen enough yet to determine that. But I, I did like the offensive line. Uh, Spencer really wasn't pressured much. Uh, they wanted a starting offensive line of Caleb Etienne, Taylor Materko, Preston Wilson, Hunter Woodard, and Jake Springfield. And I thought they blocked pretty well. It wasn't overwhelming in the running game. I think that's why they kind of just stuck with the passing game. But just how many times throughout the years, Colby, we've seen Spencer just kind of take his th- three or four step drop and then just trying to be getting rid of it. I thought he had plenty of time to throw, which obviously helped his performance as well. They look pretty good. 
Yeah, they did look good, and that's something that we don't come away uh, from the first game saying a ton. I said it last week when we recorded the preview. Hopefully, we don't have to sit here next week and talk about a struggling offensive line in game one, and I didn't think that was the case at all. I mean, uh, Spencer was only sacked one time on Thursday. He was hurried one other time. I mean, Spencer has spent a good part of his career, Carson, unable to be comfortable in the pocket because he's just had to take off quicker than he's wanted to. It's, it's you know, a read or two, and then let's get out of here because uh, I'm going to have somebody barreling down on me. Carson, there were times, especially in that first half, where I saw Spencer Sanders just kind of hanging on to the ball in the pocket, looking around, getting to his third read, his fourth read sometimes, and that's not something that we've seen a ton of. So it, it, it's all complimentary, right? I mean, that line holds up better. Your quarterback's more confident. You've got more time for routes to develop down the field. It, it just it raises the level of play of everyone else uh, when those guys in the middle do all the dirty work. And they were doing it on Thursday night. Obviously, this is Central Michigan. This isn't Baylor. Uh, we'll get that litmus test coming up here in about four weeks. But, yeah, I like what I saw uh, early on. And if those guys can stay healthy, Carson, because we've seen it, right? Rudolph, uh, was it Rudolph and Washington's last year whenever two, I believe it was right guard and right tackle, both went out before the TCU game. And then you go out there, offensive line just looks like it's in shambles and you get beat on your home field. That can happen. So hopefully these guys stay healthy because uh, it looks like Coach Dickey and, and Coach Dunn might have five guys up front that they can rely on. Yeah, that was really encouraging, and, and hopefully that's the case, and hopefully they can stay healthy for once in a season. It seems like every year, not just that year with Rudolph and Washington, that happened. But, yeah, that, that crushed them in that TCU game. That was, that was brutal. Uh, let's, let's go to the defensive side of the, of the football, Colby. And I, I'm just going to throw out all the caveats right now because, you know, I, I tweeted my thoughts throughout the game and after the game, and I just got so many tweets of Carson. It's the first game. They, they, they'll get better. And it's just one game. And Oh my God, guys, like we all know it's week one. We all know it's central Michigan. Like we all know they had a big lead. We're allowed to analyze what went wrong and a lot of stuff went wrong. And no, I'm not freaking out, but my take on the defense Colby is I saw a lot of things to be concerned about this season. Number one, missed tackles. And look, I know you're going from two NFL linebackers in Devin Harper and Malcolm Rodriguez to young, talented players who haven't played a lot. I fully understand that. But the missed tackles, and even more concerning for me, is all of the missed coverages, the, the broken coverages. Two guys thinking the other guy is going to cover someone. And those, those are my main concerns, but perhaps the biggest one of them all, Colby, is Derek Mason never adjusted. At no point did they slow them down. In fact, if there was 15 more minutes left in that game, and I know it's a big if, like it didn't look like they were going to be stopping them much the rest of the way. And I know the offense kept scoring fast. I know all the caveats you can throw out there. But all of the things I just listed are huge concerns for me moving forward the rest of the season. Yeah, the fourth quarter was particularly disastrous. I mean, Central Michigan scored one touchdown in the, second, in the first quarter, one touchdown in the second quarter, one touchdown in the third quarter, which isn't the end of the world. And then they score three touchdowns in the fourth quarter, and it just looked like they were marching up and down the field at will. I, I will say my biggest concern is – uh, kind of what you talked about where it just seemed like they were losing guys coming across the middle. I think the scouting report is out on Oklahoma State's defense. That front is really, 
really good for Oklahoma State's defense. And behind that, they've got a bunch of young guys that are trying to figure it out. And, and I mean, obviously, perspective uh, is key. You lose two NFL linebackers who just made rosters. Christian Holmes, that's an NFL corner who just made a roster. He was so good in camp. Ron Rivera said, look, we couldn't risk trying to get him through waivers. We might not have gotten him back. We had to put this guy on the roster. You lose a starting safety. Tanner McAllister started for Ohio State last night. You lose Jarek Bernard Converse is going to start for LSU tonight. On top of that, you lose Trey Sterling off the back of that defense, uh, who was injured at times last year, but was a really good player. That's a lot to replace, Carson. Oh, by the way, you lost your signal caller. You lost Jim Knowles, who went out and uh, Ohio State looked as good defensively as they've looked in years last night against Notre Dame, holding them to 10 points in that game. Uh, So, yeah, I I think that there are concerns. My biggest one is that Central Michigan continued to run guys across the field. And as these receivers would cross, Oklahoma State seemingly would get lost defensively, and guys were getting wide open. I mean, one of those uh, touchdowns as they were going into Gallagher-Iba Arena, I don't know which one it was. Um, it, it's like they took a guy in the, the left slot, just crossed him across the field. Nobody picked him up. I mean, they were like the 20-yard line. Guy just dumps it to an open receiver. He runs an extra 12 yards completely untouched into the end zone. Uh, so, yeah, I think the scouting report is out. Throw the ball quickly. Don't let your quarterback hold it for more than two seconds. You need to draw something up where somebody's crossing, and boom, within two seconds, that ball is out of his hands. And Daniel Richardson, Carson, 36 of 49, 424, four touchdowns and a pick. The 44 points is the most Oklahoma State's given up since the 2020 game against Texas Tech. Again, Malcolm Harper, Christian Holmes, those guys, those guys were great. There's going to be a dip, but the dip can't be what we saw in the second half against Central Michigan. So, Don't have to sound the alarm yet. It's not a disaster. It's not, you know, uh, a call for the the season to be all of a sudden seven and five. I'm not changing from 10 and two to seven and five. I think the offense is going to be better this year. I think the defense is going to be worse this year. It's just a matter of how far up that offense goes and how far down that defense comes. Does it even out? Uh, Does it potentially, if the defense figures things out, is Oklahoma State better because the offense takes such a big leap? Or is it worst case scenario, the offense does move move up a little bit, but the defense goes from the second best in the country to the 80th best in the country and all of a sudden you're needing to score in the mid to upper 40s to win games like when Mason Rudolph was in town uh yeah I I am concerned Carson I'm not sounding the alarm uh I do think that Oklahoma State hopefully will go in and make some adjustments to the quick passing game that you saw from Central Michigan because Carson they're going to see a bunch of teams they're just going to line up in shotgun and as soon as that ball hits the quarterback's hands he's going to have one guy that he's looking at and going right at him so uh, Derek Mason's going to figure out, he's going to have to figure out how to do that and how to communicate it to these young players who, cre- who clearly struggled at times Thursday night. Yeah, I mean, all the players you mentioned that are gone, they're not, they're not walking back through that door. Jim Knowles, who was flat out unbelievable at halftime adjustments, he's not walking back in that door. He was up in Columbus last night shutting Notre Dame out in the second half after having some real problems in the first half. And we're going to see it. We're going to see if Derek Mason can, can really right some wrongs from week one to week two. And because you're so right, Colby, and that's the number one thing I'm concerned with is the blueprint is out. Oklahoma State led the nation in sacks last year. They had two against Central Michigan. They proved they're a very stout run defense against the nation's leading rusher against Central Michigan. Lou Nichols only ran for 72 yards on 26 carries, averaging 2.8 a pop. The run defense and the defensive line was awesome. Like, it wasn't all bad. But teams are going to go away from that strength, just like Central Michigan did. And I'm I'm curious to see it. We're going to find out what Derek Mason comes up with because it's clear 
the quick passing you mentioned, I'm so glad you mentioned the routes over the middle. My dad and I talked about it after the game, and he he just couldn't believe how often they did exactly what you mentioned, where nobody would even follow the guy. I'm glad you brought that up. But I think the blueprint's out in which you don't test OSU's defensive line. You don't give them time to tee off on the quarterback. You put a lot of young players out in space and see if they can sink or swim. And in the second half, they sunk. It's, there's no way around it. Yeah, and just as we're even talking about this, my brain's working more and trying to figure out how game scripts are going to end up looking for Oklahoma State and what box scores are going to end up looking like. And I just, we're all going to have to reprogram our brains, right? We had to do that last year. Okay, no, you actually can win football games when you score 13 points or 17 points. That's where we were at last year. And now we're going to have to recalibrate our brains again because not only is Oklahoma State going to be playing different, playing so fast offensively that the defense is going to face more plays. Central Michigan ran 88 plays Thursday night. That's so many more plays than this defense was facing a year ago. You're going to give up more yards. You're going to give up more points. But also, Carson, Teams are not going to run the ball a ton against Oklahoma State because that's not how you're going to be able to beat Oklahoma State. Teams are going to throw the ball a ton. Oklahoma State's going to be throwing the ball more. We're going to have longer games. We're going to have more snaps run on both sides of the ball. Both teams are going to be going faster because they're going to be airing it out a ton. It's going to be a very different Oklahoma State team that we're watching this year. That doesn't mean it has to be a worse Oklahoma State team. It's just going to be a different Oklahoma State team. I still think they could win 10, 11, 12 games with this team, but they might have a lot more games that they win 41 to 30 or 48 to, to 43 or something like that than what we saw last year. And we're all just going to have to uh, kind of take it in stride as this defense takes its lumps. I think early in the season, some of these young guys uh, getting it figured out, but Carson, you, you don't just have a ton of time to get it figured out because Arizona state on Saturday, they're going to come to town. Uh, you're probably going to beat their brains in and then you'll beat up on the rum done the week after. And then Carson, you've got a bye week and you go to Waco. You've got to have it figured out by the time you go to Waco. That that is a big, big game. That I'm. Te- it could make the difference between playing for a conference title and not. It, it best case there, it could make the difference between playing for a college football playoff or not. It it just you have to be ready. Come October first, I think is when that game is, and that's not a lot of time. So uh, hopefully they put the work in and figure it out because Baylor will be ready and Oklahoma State needs to be as well. Feel about the no huddle fast break style offense affecting the defense because look you can you can sit here and say two things you can say well that OSU scored so fast it affected the defense but you can also say well look the second teamers were out there they weren't out there the whole game it's not like it was the starters who got worn down I mean to me Colby I want to get your thoughts on it like their offense you don't have to run super super duper tempo every time you're out there I like it in spots i like it in situations if you get a quick first down and then yeah i'm all for it i don't think their offense just because you're running spread you have to go as quickly as possible because you can run into some very quick three and outs where your defense doesn't even get a breather don't you feel like just because you run a spread doesn't mean you have to play that fast because i think over time it, it absolutely will affect your defense Yeah, it's a good point. It's complimentary football, right? We saw it last year. Oklahoma State would manage the game, uh, keep time of possession up, and and just not make mistakes. Thursday night, Central Michigan had 36 minutes time possession, a little more than 36 minutes. Uh, Oklahoma State had a little less than 24 minutes. So that's that's a good question, Carson, because – it is a catch-22 a little bit. I think Spencer Sanders, like you said earlier, I think he's at his absolute best going fast, playing off instinct, keeping the defense on their heels. 
but you do that, it's going to impact you elsewhere. It's going to impact you defensively. And when the offense is clicking and you're scoring on all those drives, it's like, well, you know, the defense doesn't have to get a ton of stops. We can still win this game. But what about that week where you're running tempo and you go three and out your first three drives and now you're just throwing your defense out there? That's when it starts to become a concern. So I, I think that that is going to be up to the coaching staff, Mike Gundy and Casey Dunn, to figure out each individual game going in. What is the script? How fast do we need to go? Uh, and that's why they make a whole lot more money than we make, Carson, because that is going to be a balancing act uh, and a tightrope that they're going to have to walk all season. Yeah, it will. I mean, Barry Trammell wrote about it in the Oklahoma, and he's concerned about that affecting their defense. He basically said they went from a pitcher's park to a hitter's park with playing alongside this <laughs> offense. But, but again, this is the identity of Oklahoma State. Like, this is this is how it is, and that's why I think you can have the best of both worlds by not, like, you can even huddle for all I care and and get and just take the play clock each time and still run, you know, four, four wide receivers and, and spread it out and run your offense. You don't have to just, just for the sake of going fast, go fast. Gundy seems to think they're better playing fast and, and perhaps they are, but I do think that's something to monitor just in terms of how the, these games play out. Uh, who, who stood out to you on defense? I thought, I thought Mason Cobb looked like the first couple series. You're just like number zero is everywhere. I thought he looked outstanding as did Kendall Daniels. Yeah, in a very joking fashion after that first series, I looked at my dad and I said, Malcolm who? And, and it was 100% joking, obviously. But Mason Cobb looked great right out of the gate. I mean, he's going out, uh, making some good open field tackles, wrapping guys up. He looked really good. Ended up uh, tied for the team lead in tackles at 10 alongside Kendall Daniels. Uh, it was probably those two guys for me who stood out uh, a little bit. I, I didn't really see what I thought I was going to see from Jabbar Muhammad. I'll, I'll be interested to see how he progresses throughout the season, both he and Corey Black, because corner was an absolute position of strength for Oklahoma State a year ago with Christian Holmes and Jarrett Bernard Converse. And those are just big shoes to fill. Uh, but yeah, I thought Mason Cobb did a good job in the middle. Uh, Xavier Benson at that times looked good. He and Kendall Daniels, though. Mason Cobb and Kendall Daniels, I think both looked really good. Kendall Daniels got the interception, made some tackles. Uh, I did think that there were times where he looked a little bit confused and got a little bit lost. But again, true freshman first game, and there were times where they all looked a little bit confused and a little bit lost. That's why the other guy threw for almost 430 yards and four touchdowns. So uh, probably Kendall Daniels and Mason Cobb. Uh, and then up front, Carson, I, I you know, Brendan Evers, Sione, I say those guys do an unbelievable job. Uh, you bring your pass rushers in. It, it was honestly kind of a, a boring night for the guys up front, I feel like. I mean, they're, they're rushing. The ball's gone in a second and a half. That was all night long. Uh, so we really didn't get to see the highlights and all the sacks like we saw a year ago because of the way Central Michigan schemed. But uh, they're going to be seeing a lot of that. I feel like Tyler Lacey has gotten even bigger. Like on that safety and give the defense credit that came in a huge spot. I wish you had just, you know, punted uh, Tyler Lacey broke through and really helped cause that, that sack. He had uh, two and a half tackles for loss and a sack. I thought he looked great. And even though you're right, he didn't get a, a ton of opportunities to rush the passer, but he just looks like a mountain of a man. And I mean, it, it's clear to see, I think Brock Heard man mentioned this on the, um, on the broadcast. He goes, he's like, he's like, that guy would be playing, for the new England Patriots next year. Like that's what that looks like. That's what Tyler Lacey looks like. I thought he was great, even though, you know, the numbers weren't just eye popping, but on that play particular, he just, he looked amazing. And I think he's, he's poised for just a huge, huge year. And it's such a, such an added benefit getting him back on the roster this year. 
Yeah, that's a great call with Tyler Lacey. It's those poor kids from Central Michigan. He's an NFL lineman, and they just had no chance. He was bull rushing them. Uh, they just they couldn't do anything with Tyler Lacey. I have some thoughts about that safety, though, because I'm sitting there in the west end zone. Central Michigan's backed up on their own one-yard line, and they come out, and they had a little momentum rolling at this point, right? Game's tied at seven. They just got to stop and force a punt. They'd gone down the field on the previous drive. They had a little momentum going. They were spreading us out. They were throwing the ball around uh, with some of those quick hitters, and Carson, the absolute coaching disaster from Central Michigan to run out on their own one-yard line after they'd done a good job spreading us out and turn around in the I formation. We had 11 guys within four yards of the, the ball whenever it was snapped. They line up in the I formation, turn around and hand it off to Lou Nichols four yards deep in his own end zone. And Tyler Lacey was already there. He was already there. It was, I mean, I was dumbfounded that Central Michigan actually attempted to do what they did that play is going to end in a safety so often that I can't believe they didn't see it coming. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to give my BV to the Central Michigan coaching staff because they, all in all, I think they had a pretty good night. But I was dumbfounded sitting there 40 yards behind that play as it took place and thinking to myself, is that really what they came up with? Uh, and it really was. And, yeah, really shifted the momentum early in that game. Oklahoma State immediately scored uh, on the next drive, got up 16-7 to and never looked back. So that was a great play by Tyler Lacey and then the other guys to be there on the edge with the pursuit. But I just couldn't believe Central Michigan actually did that with any expectation that it might work. Scared money don't make none. You coach scared, and that's what <laughs> happens. And that's what yeah. I thought, too. So, yeah, that was, that's a great call. Uh, before we get to other college football games, let's get to Bullets and BBs, Colby. What, uh, what stuck out to you this week? Carson, I, I looked for any reason not to give it Spencer, to Spencer Sanders, and I couldn't find one. He just – it looked like a different level of swagger. Um, you know, like I said, the, the busted play where he takes it for a touchdown, the skill as a runner is there. The skill as a passer ha, has just improved exponentially in his career at Oklahoma State. And I'm watching the Big 12 over the weekend, and I'm just – I'm thinking to myself – there is no other quarterback in the Big 12 that I would rather have back there for Oklahoma State. I mean, he's elevated himself to that level. I think he is the best quarterback in the conference. I think he'll likely have the best season uh, statistically of any quarterback in the conference. He can do it all. And, and that added threat uh, of him on the ground, I talked about it last year after Bedlam and after the Notre Dame game. You just, like I said, scared money don't make none. And you can't be worried about that guy getting hurt because he's too good of a runner to not use uh, that part of his game. So I was so, so beyond impressed with everything that he threw out on Thursday night. It, it just, it, it felt like he was an absolute machine, uh, just a well-oiled machine. And it just looked like the game came easy to him, Carson. At times in his career, it's looked like he was having to force stuff and like the game was going too fast. And it just looked so easy for Spencer Sanders on Thursday night. Uh, so my bullet goes to number three. That's a great one. He was, he was amazing. Uh, I might, I may or may not have Colby wagered, uh, on Spencer at a hundred to one to win the Heisman after the game. Ooh, I that like be, it. That would be quite nice. I would think. Um, so I, yeah, I think he's, he's poised for a huge year. Hopefully he can stay healthy. Hopefully they can keep blocking for him up front. Cause the, he just showed you exactly what he can do all season long. Now that he's unleashed in a, in a real actual Oklahoma state offense. They're not running Wisconsin's offense. So I'm going to give my bullet to Casey Dunn. I thought he was sensational. It looked like they had an actual plan. How many times last year, Colby, would they, they call certain plays that you would think like, that's a good play call in a totally different situation. I thought he was really in rhythm. It helped his receivers are getting open constantly. 
helped that they blocked up front. And I think Casey Dunn, you know, look, he's, he's taken a lot of heat and justifiably so in, in many spots, but he, he really showed what he can do when, when given, you know, the, the full reins and, and gets to run a, a, a true Oklahoma state, no huddle fast break type offense. I thought he was, was awesome. And really, I think not just with you and me and most Oklahoma state fans, I think people nationally saw that and were like, wow, like, if Oklahoma State can get back to playing Oklahoma State offense and their defense doesn't regress too much, like, look out. They can absolutely win the Big 12 and, and make some noise this year. So I got to give my bullet to, to Casey Dunn in, in the offense. Uh, yeah, I like that. And, and then, Carson, I mean, there aren't really a ton of places to go with BBs unless you want to go defense. So we're going to have to go defense, and I'm going to give it to the secondary. Uh, and, and, and partially, I guess you can throw Derek Mason in on that a little bit. They just looked confused a lot. I mean, a lot of confusion on that back end. Uh, I mean, even sitting in stadium, you could see at times guys were looking across the field and motioning and waving their arms and stuff as Central Michigan was lining up, getting ready to wave the snap uh, or getting ready to snap the ball. And I just, yeah, I'm a little disheartened by as optimistic as I am about what I saw offensively. I'm a little, uh, I'm a little worried about the defense. So, uh, yeah, the secondary, the back end of that defense, I felt like really struggled in coverage specifically on Thursday night. And I tell you what, if Daniel Richardson is lighting you up on 36 of 49 for 424 and four, you're going to see better quarterbacks than Daniel Richardson this season. So that needs to get fixed immediately, if not sooner. Yeah, I wondered, and my BB is going to go to Derek Mason as well. Like, I did wonder, you know, Richardson's pretty mobile. I wondered why they didn't run more of the old Lincoln Riley uh, defense, the one people just wore him out with last year of just the rush three, drop eight, play zone, and just keep everything in front of you. And it, it makes life pretty hard on quarterbacks who aren't a real threat to run. I wonder if he was too afraid to do that with Richardson being able to kind of take off and get first downs that way because clearly they needed more help on the back end. And I look, I know that's the strength of your team with the defensive line, but I just – I was really disappointed in the lack of adjustments because the, the results – didn't change a whole lot in the second half. And they, they moved the ball pretty well in, in the first half even. And they, they the, the, can my BB also be the, the central Michigan kicker that, that missed it like 40 yards to the left. I mean, yes. I don't know what that was on a 50 yard field goal, but uh, no, I'm, I'm cautiously concerned. I'm not going to sound any alarm bells, but just more than just the missed tackles and, and blown coverages was the lack of adjustments that concerns me moving forward. Uh, yeah, no doubt about it. And that's one thing, right, that – and look, it's so hard to judge Derek Mason on the Jim Knowles curve. Best D.C. Uh, in school history, coming off the best defense in school history. But it's impossible to not just kind of look at some things. And one of the things that Jim Knowles was unbelievable at was just in-game adjustments. Not in between games, not in-week adjustments – in-game adjustments. I mean, if he came out, look at Baylor in the Big 12 championship game. Baylor comes out with shaping. They're slinging it all over the yard. Everything's going their way. And Jim Knowles says, okay, here's what they're doing. We weren't totally expecting that. Here's how we're going to counter it. And they're now done having success. And at that point, they were just done having success. And we came to expect that as a fan base. And you know, it's going to require a little bit of patience as these young guys and this new defensive coordinator uh, all figure it out together and try to get it to that level because, yes, Carson, we were very, 
very spoiled by Jim Knowles and that incredibly uh, veteran defense at Oklahoma State with the way they were able to adjust in-game. Because, I mean, last year, Carson, we knew if it was a bad first half defensively, a bad first quarter defensively, that was fixing to get shut off. I mean, that, that valve was getting turned to zero. And I don't know if that's going to be the case this year. So uh, we're going to have to be patient, and hopefully they figure it out uh, in time that it doesn't cost them a game that they need to, to win. I'm so glad you mentioned – the Notre Dame first half and in the Baylor Big 12 championship game when Shapin went like 13 for 13 to start the game. Like it does appear that's the best way to attack this style of defense that Oklahoma State's playing. I mean, both those halves between Notre Dame and Baylor, it was kind of just a, you look at it on the surface, it's dink and dunk, you know, it's six, seven, eight yard routes and they just kind of dink and dunk across the middle, but that, that adds up quickly. And they were able to have real success. But what you mentioned, the adjustments that they made uh, clearly worked last year. And I think it would behoove Derek to, to go back and, and look at precisely what Knowles was able to figure out in the second halves of those games to where they actually got some stops and got the ball back in the hands of their offense. And last year, their, their offense against Baylor just simply wasn't good enough. But I think clearly it's fixable. I mean, the, the personnel has changed, but the defense, it's changed because it's a new coordinator. But it is kind of eerie the way that they're able to, the, the way they'll be able to, the way they'll be able to get the ball moved on them is very reminiscent of when the, the very few times that they struggled last year. So they've got some stuff to figure out. And again, it's week one. They got Arizona State next week. I, Colby, I, I do want to give Central Michigan some credit. I think they're a good football team. Jim McElwain's a heck of a coach. I thought he had great schemes that kind of exposed the defense in the second half. Uh, I don't think they're, you know, going to go undefeated by any means in their conference, but. They're a good football team with a good coach. It's not as if, you know, they were giving up all these points in the second half to a team that couldn't play dead. So I, I do want to give them their due because they have they have some athletes. So they they were they were a kind of a, a worthy first test. Yeah, I think they were too. I think if that was a Big 12 team, uh, look, they would not be the worst team in the conference. They'd be better than than Kansas, and they'd probably be right there with Texas Tech and Iowa State this year. Uh, so, yeah, they're a good team. So, I, I don't want to pretend like it was Savannah State and you gave up 44 to Savannah State. No, Central Michigan can play a little bit. Uh, probably one of the tougher opponents that any team in the Big 12 saw in week one outside maybe West Virginia, unless I'm forgetting anything. So, uh, yeah, all in all, you go out. What was it? I mean, I think it was like 51 to 15 before uh, Oklahoma State kind of threw it on in, into cruise control and Central Michigan started marching up and down the field. So, at, at one point, you were blowing them out, and then it just – you know, started coasting. Central Michigan started airing it out, uh, and it ended up not looking so good. So, uh, all in all, Central Michigan's a good team. Happy to get happy to score 58 points, get away with an easy win. The 14 point uh, final score, final margin of victory is not nearly indicative of how big of a blowout that was, and, and potentially could have been. So, uh, yes, we're, we're worried about the defense, but all in all, not the worst thing in the world. Time for the Chris's University Spirit Uniform Review brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisesuniversityspirit.com. Colby, I'm perfect on the season, even nailing the helmet. I got to give it up to myself. You are, you are. I did all my research last week. Uh, I went in, I wrote it all down, and uh, I ended up going white, orange, white. And I, I whiffed on the pants, uh, and you got the orange pants. So it, it was going to come, one of us was going to be right. It was going to come down to the pants, and you got it. So well done. You're 1-0. It is good to be 1-0. I mean, to, to nail the helmet, too, that's a, that's a high degree of difficulty. Just getting yep. a white helmet right is tough enough. But uh, I thought it was a good look. I, I like the Patriot Pete helmet. It's uh I much prefer the Patriot Pete than like the scary Pete head or just the 
the giant Pete head. I, I like the full bow leg. I like bow legged Pete, Patriot Pete. What do you think of the uh, the overall uniform look? Uh, overall, yeah, I thought they looked great. The the turf number one looks great. The new turf. I mean, I how'd that look in person? Oh, I walked into the stadium and it's like you walk in and it just smacks you in the face. Those end zones are so much brighter. Uh, I mean, for years, we've been talking about America's brightest orange. Uh-uh. We had America's most faded orange. And now we've got America's brightest orange. Uh, yeah, it, it hits you in the face. And the uniforms uh, were bright and were orange. And, yeah, it just all looked good. It all complemented uh, everything incredibly well. I'm, I've got the highlights pulled up right here on ESPN. And, you know, I talked about Spencer Sanders' touchdown run Uh on the, the busted play. What about the one earlier in the game where Spencer took it? Uh, I think it was like, it was nine to seven. So it was the second Oklahoma state touchdown. It's like a 20 yard touchdown run where he made six guys miss. It's just, I, I keep being impressed uh, by his rushing ability. We've already talked about it for an hour and I'm still sitting here watching highlights. Uh, just wowed at the way he runs the ball for a quarterback. So, uh, but yeah, Carson turf looked good. Uniforms looked great. Yeah. I just watched that run you're talking about. I mean, that that's, that's electric stuff. I mean, I look, we all know the concerns of running QB one and what's behind him, but that's, that's one of his best strengths and you got to utilize it and you just got to be, be smart with it. Cause he's just, he's so dangerous when he, when he tucks it and runs and it, and it also, it, it keeps the defense honest from um, just dropping everybody back into coverage if they're not respecting the, uh, the running game too. So yeah, he was outstanding. Let's move a little far North, a little <laughs> further North. Let's go up to this, what I'm just, what I just keep getting told from around the country that, man, the Big Ten, man, they, they play tough football. They play defense, and they're easily the best conference behind the SEC. I mean, if Oklahoma State went up there, they wouldn't know. They just, they couldn't hang, and it's just such a great conference. And all I've been doing is reading up and down their standings of just – you know, all these rumdum teams that can't even play 21st century offense. And a tweet that really, really chaps me before we even got to the absolute masterpiece that was Iowa's performance is a tweet by, and this guy's just one of the worst people on Twitter is Dan Wolken uh, from USA Today. And, you know, the, the news of the 12-team playoff came out, and we'll talk more about that uh, on next episode before we lead into the next game against Arizona State. But he tweeted, every conference besides the SEC and Big Ten should be grateful that they were included in playoff expansion. They did not have to be. To which I replied, thank God these illustrious programs allowed the rest of the country to compete. Northwestern, Illinois, they're horrible. Minnesota, Iowa, who we'll get to, Wisconsin, they've been really good over the years. They're pretty average now. Nebraska, just a complete sham of what once was a proud program. Purdue, yawn, one of Mike Gundy's worst team made them look like Savannah State, like they had never seen a forward pass before when they played Oklahoma State. Maryland, barely a football program. Rutgers, LOL. Indiana, getting worse by the minute. Kentucky. Tennessee. Tennessee was good 30 years ago. They have been a train wreck ever since. Missouri kicked your butt in the Big 12. You're nobody in the SEC. South Carolina, one of the worst power five programs in history. Never won a conference title. Vanderbilt might as well play Bixby. They'd probably lose to Bixby. Ole Miss, yawn. Arkansas, when they're not cheating, yawn, that is. 
Arkansas getting better, really like Sam Pittman, have been horrible for 30 years. Mississippi State, one of the worst power five destinations in the country. A&M thinks they're great. OSU, Molly whopped them all the time in the Big 12. They're doing fine recruiting. Wake me up when they do something. And Auburn, who cheats the only time they've won a national title since I was born. So please spare me with, thank God, the Big Big 10 allows the rest of the country to compete with those garbage football programs. And again, I'm sorry, Iowa. This is not your fault. It's not your fault. But what I witnessed, and Colby, I know you weren't watching, but once people kept tweeting at me that the score was five to three deep into the game, I was so locked in. I had the TV on. I had the volume blaring. I was so ready to watch more punts. And oh my God, did I watch more punts. How about 800 yards worth of punts between Iowa and South Dakota State? And again, Iowa's playing South Dakota State. And the concept of a first down or the forward pass, it's, it's like speaking hieroglyphics to people from the Big Ten. They don't know what that is. They can't comprehend it. So please, please come play Oklahoma State, Iowa. Indiana, you remember when Des Bryant got off the bus, the inside bowl? Indiana had never seen an athlete that looked like Des Bryant. Had never seen one of those before. And so, like, <laughs> this was like the perfect storm, Colby. It was just, at one point, an Iowa fan held up a T-shirt that says, I cheer for the punter, because that's the style of football they watch. And again, this is not Iowa's fault. This is people like Dan Wolken, who cover football on the national level, Stuart Mandel, who just continues to make a fool of himself on Twitter, who mocked Oklahoma State's attendance when UCLA, his, his little friends out in LA, had 20,000 people in the stands. It's a joke. And if people looked at this objectively, the Big 12 is such a better football conference top to bottom than the Big 10. It's not even close. It's not even funny. Like, did you watch what TCU did to Colorado? Like, and that's oh, with yeah, their backup that's- quarterback. All right, I, I'm going to keep going, so you go ahead. I, I need to well, take a breather. And, and Carson, so you went in on Iowa, so I'll pivot here. You know who's really glad that Iowa played on Saturday? And I mean really glad that Iowa played on Saturday. That would be the Nebraska Cornhuskers, who were tied, Carson, with North Dakota. At home, by the way, Lincoln, Nebraska. We're not in Ireland anymore. We're at home in Lincoln, Nebraska. They were tied with North Dakota in the third quarter. Late in the third quarter, they were tied with North Dakota on their home field. Not North Dakota State. Do not confuse them with North Dakota State, who is a very good FCS program, uh, puts quarterbacks in the NFL as a good program. We are talking about the North Dakota Fighting Hawks. Nebraska's tied in the third quarter. They end up pulling away, winning 38-17. to I'm sure they were a 40-point favorite or something like that. We've got Rutgers and Boston College playing to a one-point game. We've got Indiana and Illinois Friday night, 23-20 to game. Just... But it's bad football. I mean, it's bad football, Carson. I watched some of it. Uh, I watched a little bit of that Indiana-Illinois game on Friday night just because it was on. It was just something to have on TV in the background. Carson, Ohio State is really good year in and year out. They are just a really good football team. Other than that, you know, I think Michigan has gotten a little bit better the last couple of years under Jim Harbaugh. I think they are are rightly a top-10 program in the country. Uh, But I still don't know how they would fare in the Big 12. They've got a good defense, but I don't know how it would hold up. The Big 12 is a much better football conference. I, I just, I feel like at some point, 
I, I start to feel like the crazy one because everybody nationally keeps talking about the Big Ten and how good it is. And I'm like, I just don't see it. So then I start to ask myself, what am I missing here? And I, I don't know, man. I don't know. I can't figure it out. I can't figure out the infatuation with the Big Ten. Maybe it just really is the trickle-down effect from Ohio State. And then if Michigan is even competent, then that makes it to where the whole conference gets a boost. It's almost like if Oklahoma uh, was still, you know, doing what they were doing with Baker and Kyler and Heisman every year and stuff, and then Texas was also a top-ten team in the country, then that's what elevates your conference is when the names are inside the top ten. And because Texas has been down for so long, people have been dogging on the Big 12. But, yeah. The conferences aren't close, Carson. The Big 12 is a much better uh, football conference. And, yeah, I would love a Big 12, Big 10 challenge next year in the non-con. Let's line everybody up. Let's get Oklahoma State across the field from Wisconsin. I think that would be a blast. Let's get Baylor and Michigan. Let's get Ohio State and OU. And let's line the Big 12 up against the Big 10. And I would love, love, love the Big 12's chances. And, but that you just hit on something that that's what really bothers me. When, when Oklahoma makes the playoff, it's not because, wow, they're, they're a really good football team. It's, oh, that league stinks. Of course, of course, Oklahoma won it. They probably don't even deserve to be in the playoff. Remember, you had Herb Street on TV trying to get a two-loss Georgia team over a one-loss Oklahoma. I mean, it's just, it's asinine. And like, again, yes, Ohio State's, we all know what Ohio State is. Michigan, we all know what they are. It's the fact they lump in the Illinois of the world, the Indianas. I mean, I, I don't have to read off all the names I just read, but let's not pretend like, like, Illinois is putting a ton of defensive players into the NFL draft. That's not why they can't score points. They can't score points because they don't play 21st century football and it's bad football. And just because they're in the big 10, people just kind of shrug their shoulders and go, Oh, well, they, they punted a lot because they're playing good defense. No, they punted a lot because they literally can't complete the forward pass. And that's what bothers me. And it just, but there were so many good numbers kind of coming out of this game. I don't even know where to begin. This uh, John Owens sent me a tweet of his, his awesome setup he's got with his flat screen on a wall. Uh, they showed this on the broadcast. It says, something about Iowa with scores. The 2021 Field of Dreams game. The White Sox, nine. Yankees, eight. 2022 Field of Dreams. Cubs, four. Reds, two. Today, Iowa, five. South Dakota State, three. They were scoring fewer points than a baseball game in the major leagues. 899 yards punting on 20 punts. The defense outscored Iowa's offense. It took, uh, what, two safeties to get to seven? Was that how they got there? Two safeties to get to seven? I feel going two safeties. First team to finish a game with seven points without scoring a touchdown since 2000. In their last six regular season quarters, Iowa scored more safeties, one, than touchdowns. That was before... They got their second safety. and But wait, there's more. Uh, let's see here. This was a really just an incredible, and I mean an incredible stat. I got to scroll because I got so much Iowa content on my, on my uh, timeline here. This was passed along to me by uh, Colby. It's a bad radio, but. Uh, <laughs> You'll find it. You'll find it. Going once. Well, the, the Iowa newspaper once. had uh, Iowa victory with no O's in it. Yep. Because that's how little offense there was. Uh, okay, here it is. <laughs> oh, my God, this is incredible. And In the FBS, most wins when punting it eight-plus times since 2020. Iowa has six, eight FBS teams tied with two. So I'm sorry, Iowa. It's not all your fault. 
but it's partially your fault. They've won punting eight plus times, six times since 2020. Like that's big 10 football punting to win. I mean, it's just, it was just, oh, it was just a cavalcade of tweets and humor that, that really just illustrates Colby what I've been harping on for years about the big 10. It was just the perfect opening weekend for college football for me. Yeah, no, it was absolutely perfect. Uh, yeah, the, the Iowa game was unbelievable. I, I forgot something very, very important. The Big Ten stinks. It's not any good. They can't complete a forward pass. It stinks. There you Beautiful. go. Beautiful. That That's my, what I was waiting for. That That's for what I was people. waiting for, and you gave it to me, so I'm happy now. I'm good. Uh, only week one. Uh, I got like 12 more of those where, that, where that's coming from. Oh, yeah, bunch more of those. Uh, SEC obviously looked great. I mean, how about what Georgia did to Oregon? I mean, you're thinking to yourself, uh, you're thinking to yourself, Georgia put a ton of dudes in the NFL. Let's see what they look like after winning the national championship. Uh, they looked like they beat Oregon's brains in 49 to three. And I don't know which program that says more about, um, probably a little bit of both, but I turned that game on fully expecting to watch some good football. Uh, and I got the exact opposite after about 10 minutes. Did you see that tight end they have? That's like oh my six, god, seven, six seven two seventy out here hurdling guys. Runs like a gazelle. I had several people tweet me that that's what we should have been doing with Jelani, and I was like, look, <laughs> no one's a bigger fan of Jelani than I am. We saw what he did at the combine, but I'm sorry, that dude is, that guy is just on another galaxy. Like that was like good luck to the rest of the country going up against Georgia now that they're recruiting like Alabama. I mean, that's 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 freaky. That's scary. Yeah, it absolutely is. The uh, Maybe the best game of the weekend was Utah and Florida. Did you see the end of that one? Yes, I did. I mean, the Pac-12, as much as I've railed against the Big Ten, rightfully so, like the Pac-12 shouldn't even be considered a Power Five conference at this point. I mean, you got UCLA with 20,000 fans. I mean, it's just Utah was is a very good program. Kyle Whittingham's a very good coach, very – similar resume to Mike Gundy in terms of longevity and winning and all those things, but they go on the road and beat a Florida team as a brand new head coach. That wasn't any good last year. I mean, it's the PAC 12s already out of the playoffs as far as I'm concerned. And look, you can tell me USC is going to go undefeated. I don't see that happening. I mean, I think they're going to have a very hard time getting in. Uh, yeah, no, I don't think USC is going undefeated. They just, I mean, Lincoln Riley just got there. They don't have nearly a deep enough talent pool, I think, uh, to go year. undefeated. Yeah, to go undefeated in that conference. They just, I don't think the talent is there. Uh, but yeah, it, it was bad for the uh, the Pac-12 whenever Utah failed to get that done because that was kind of going to be their saving grace is if they went down to Florida and won. Uh, and instead, it's just, it's another notch for the SEC. Arkansas beats Cincinnati. Uh, Alabama rolls Utah State. Georgia rolls Oregon, uh, Florida pulls the upset over Utah. Utah was a slight favorite in that game. I think two or two and a half points in that game, even being uh, down there in the swamp. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a good day for the SEC. Uh, bad day, I thought, for the, the Big Ten. Even worse day for the Pac-12. Uh, yeah, those conferences are struggling. But the SEC remains king, Carson. That was uh, – it was a good weekend for, for the SEC. Yeah, I mean, they're – and again, I think – when it comes to like the big 10, the sec and the big 12, and I'm not even include the pac 12 in this conversation. Like, look, like they have two to three elite teams every year and the rest of the leagues it kind of about the same around the country. That's why I get so triggered by this big 10 is great. Like, and that's why I get triggered when I look, look at the teams that are actually in the big 10 versus the big 12 and look, the big 12 didn't have, you know, great teams top to bottom, but I'd like the chances of the middle to lower tiers. Like you said, with a big 10, Big 12 challenge. So, no, but look, like when it comes to like Georgia and Alabama, like 
like Oklahoma's doesn't belong on the same field as those teams. I mean, it's just Oklahoma State doesn't. I mean, it's just it's that simple. Like they just have too many NFL players on their rosters, and it's it's look, and that's and we'll we'll get more into the twelve team playoff and things of that nature. But uh, man, I mean, Georgia is frightening, and and Bama's Bama's got like perhaps like three dudes in their secondary they're gonna be drafting the first round like it's just it's it's a different sport what they're playing so yeah it, it is it, i mean georgia and alabama have turned into developmental programs for the nfl i mean that's what they are they are developmental programs for the nfl uh and oklahoma state just can't be that i mean even like you said oklahoma is not close to that level at the moment texas is a decade and a half removed from that level it's it's wild what those two programs have been able to accomplish uh and plays texas next week and i cannot wait to watch that oh boy that's gonna be brutal isn't it that's gonna be absolutely brutal and i mean texas goes out and beats louisiana monroe but yeah they're they're gonna get just absolutely run next week Uh, i can't wait i uh hammered the texas under this year so i I, i'm waited i'm waiting with bated breath already but no it was a eight and a half it was eight and a half's number i got they're they're not winning nine games like no i think seven i think seven and five eight and four is right kind of in the wheelhouse great first week colby you got anything else before we uh get on out of here i don't believe so that was some good football what uh, do you know what time that texas game is this weekend because oklahoma state's 6 30 and i will be able to be in Stillwater again oh by the way uh shout out one of our listeners tyler wheat sits up in our section at uh at the games came over and said hi and got to see the baby and all that good stuff oh that's the last thing i'll talk about is the baby i've got two stories uh one's the baby and then one's about a dog in Stillwater on saturday so uh baby was great cannons are going off she's got her little headphones on just as cute as could be uh baby was awesome never cried never got scared by the noise uh so it's a very smooth process getting the baby to the game and back i believe she'll be there with us again on saturday Also, I wanted to tell uh, this story and I almost forgot about it. Maybe this is what I should have given my BB to. We are, Carson, on our way up there. We're going to go eat before the game. So we're out northwest of town, out kind of by the Tumbleweed Life Church area, uh, like Western and Lakeview. We're sitting there at the stoplight. We're just waiting to go. Red light. Car comes, turns left in front of us to get onto Western right there. Carson, this is like a Ford Expedition. They're probably moving, I don't know, 15, 20 miles an hour. A golden retriever jumps out the back window of this moving car. I'm sitting in the, in the front Whoa. of the line at this, at this light. Golden Retriever jumps out the window of this moving car. So I'm, I'm sitting here, like, watching this happen like it's in slow motion. So dog jumps, bounces off the concrete, proceed, tries to catch his balance, but he can't because he's sliding too fast. Slides, rolls, like, four times, ends up kind of, like, up under the front of our car. So I throw my car in park, hop out, run around the front of the car. This dog, Carson... He is standing there looking at me with a smile on his face, wondering how he got there. He just, he wasn't hurt. He was fine. Didn't have a collar on. So I picked him up, carried him to the other car had stopped. So I picked him up, carried him to his car. It's the first time I've ever seen a dog jump out of a moving vehicle. And it absolutely terrified me. And then I got out there and he's just like, he's having a normal Thursday. So it was, uh, it was quite the start to the day in Stillwater. There's a bullet. I mean, uh, he should he should be able to lead the team on the field next week against Arizona State. He should. He's tough, man. He's tough. He can take those hits for four quarters. I'm telling you, that dude's dust off. yourself off. Yeah, that dude bounced off the concrete and just popped up like it was nothing. It was awesome. It's wild. You never quite know what you're going to see in Stillwater, but Golden Retrievers flying out of windows. I mean, it's uh, it's always fun up there in Stilly. Glad you and the, the the newborn daughter had a had a great time. That's awesome. Yep, it was a blast. Uh, you got anything else? You ready to get out of here? I'm good. Big 10 stinks. We're moving on to week two. And uh, again, I, I, I loved what I saw out of Spencer. Uh, we'll see what we get from the defense moving forward, but it was a, it was a fun, fun Thursday night in Stilly and we'll, uh, I'll leave it to you.
Absolutely it was. Uh, we will be back later in the week for a full preview of the Oklahoma State game against Arizona State, as well as what is happening elsewhere around the Big 12. Thanks, everybody, for listening to our first recap of the season. Great win over Central Michigan. As always, go Pokes!